Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast, where I will be sharing interviews and insights from the field of healthcare. The Business of Healthcare podcast is brought to you by THC Primary Care, where we provide operations and project management to primary care networks. If you are a clinical director or a practice manager and your to-do list is growing by the minute and you could do with an extra pair of hands to support you to roll out your network-based contracts and projects, I would love to help you. We also provide consultancy and coaching advice to healthcare business owners and clinical leads looking to take the next step in their career or their business. Come and check us out at www.thcprimarycare.co.uk. Hi, my name's Tara Humphrey and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. In this episode, I am talking to Dr. Amanj Ahmed. Amanj is a consultant geriatrician working in secondary care and he's just got the nicest, sunniest, positive outlook on life. And it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast. We talked about the things they don't teach you in medical school. We talked about the importance of well-being. Aman shared his background of being an immigrant and the importance of integration and accommodation and cultural changes and cultural differences he has had to learn and things that other people have had to learn about him. And Amanda also talks about the importance of proactively leading your own career and seeking out coaches and mentors. Absolutely loved it. I really, really enjoyed this interview. It's so lovely for me to speak to people who absolutely love the careers that they have built. And that's not to say that enjoyment doesn't come without hardship. And it's clearly something that Amanj works very hard at around being grateful and practicing self-care and self-compassion. So enjoy. I would love it if you would share this and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, Amanj, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you doing? I'm very well, Tara. Nice to see you. So I was, we were just talking and I was saying when we first met, after we finished the call, I kind of sat back and was like, he's just so positive. He's just so happy. Yeah. In the last few years, it has been part of my passion about psychology and happiness and I think one thing I learned is the more you are positive the more you attract positiveness in your life and that's what I am trying to achieve for myself and for my people who are around me because we are as a human our emotion transfer in this modern life it's so important to stay positive. Definitely could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do today? My name is Amanj Hassan Ahmed. I am consultant geriatrician and physician in Ipswich Hospital. I have been in Ipswich Hospital for five years. And I moved to UK from Kurdistan, north of Iraq, 2002. I've been living in UK for the last 19 years. And I studied medicine in north of Iraq. 
but all my clinical work and practice been in UK and I done all the training, foundation program, core medical training and registrar training in London. I done 10 year training to be a consultant and now I have been a consultant for five years. You are a consultant geriatrician, right? What does a consultant geriatrician do? That's a very good question. We do a lot of things. Okay. We, I went for a course and there was this diagram and the name of geriatrician was in the center of NHS business because uh, you see, look to hospital, 65% of those patients go to a &E or admitted from a &E are people who are 65 years older and above, which okay. you can categorize them as geriatric or elderly patients. So the bulk of NHS business and work is uh, for elderly care. And so we are busy people and uh, we don't have enough geriatrician in UK. We are around maybe 1400, similar to other specialty, but still there is demand because of the population. So we do acute medicine on call, acute take. We do lots of education and teaching, training people. And we have inpatient like ward, people who are acutely ill need to be in hospital. We run community hospital. There are different hospitals. We use them for rehabilitation or convalescent period for people who need time to get back to normality before going home. And we do lots of management. Yeah, we, we work with uh, lots of stakeholders in NHS. And why did you choose that speciality? What about that? Because you obviously on rotation, you're exposed to multiple pathways. What about being a geriatrician really attracted you? That was a difficult decision when I was trainee doctor to decide which speciality. But looking to myself and what I like and what I enjoy, I found I generalist, being generalist is, is something which I like. I couldn't do just one organ specific speciality. And in geriatric, we are multi-organ speciality. And the other thing is being around elderly people and spending time with them is something I never get bored of it. And I have so much respect culturally to elderly people. And uh, I enjoy listening to their wisdom story and their life story. And uh, I think Another thing, some people told me lately that it suits, the speciality suits me because I have passion to, and I like talking to people, especially people who are in need or elderly patients. So one of the things we spoke about and that my perception of a consultant, so I've, I've got three kids with various long-term conditions. We go to the doctors, we go to the hospital and you've got your consultant in the middle and then they've got like an army of trainees around them. They're like, yes, doctor, no doctor. And it's all very, very official. And when I said that to you, you kind of laughed, kind of help. That, that was my perception. Tell us what it's like to be that consultant surrounded by other people. They're all looking to you for answers. You're teaching them. What does it feel like from where you are standing? At times, it could be demanding, emotionally especially, because as you rightly mentioned, most of the time people ultimately come back to you and to your word. But working in NHS for the last 15 plus years, 
uh, the culture is changing. You, you see life is changing, modern world, digitalization. And I think uh, 15 years ago, a consultant and team relationship was different from now when I'm a consultant. We still have hierarchy in NHS and in our business, but it is not as formal or strict. So I talk to my junior team, we go and have coffee in the canteen before this pandemic. And uh, they, they feel at ease approaching consultant better, better uh, nowadays compared to all day. It is emotionally demanding. It is very stressful because the full responsibility come back to you. But uh, the culture is changing and uh, uh, I enjoy being a consultant in spite of all the emotional drain and stress, but still it is very satisfying. What did you find when stepping into that consultant position? What did they not teach you on the training that you soon learned to find out? Yeah, you might hear this from many uh, consultant, uh, new consultant, which uh, you feel a sense of a bit of panic and feel, am I ready? Am I still there? And uh, yeah, I felt like that. And um, it is stressful, it is nerve-wracking. And uh, suddenly you realize you learn good technical skill and good knowledge and science, but there are other things which is demanded from you, which you were not expected. So there are three aspects of uh, consultant uh, life which people demand from you, technical skills, interpersonal and social skill and managerial and leadership skill. And uh, I found in the last five years, those two aspects of interpersonal and social skill, people skill and uh, management and leadership is being a big challenge. And I've been trying proactively to educate myself and uh, strengthen myself in those aspects. In summary, I think in my five-year registration training, they did not train us very well in those aspects. Most of our teaching were in technical and clinical and knowledge skill. So when you say you're proactively kind of developing those areas, um, how are you doing that? For example, there was a management course I joined in my hospital. I asked people, senior consultant, and they said, we have an internal management course, which was run for one year. And I spoke to management and clinical lead in the hospital. They said, we have a mentorship in the hospital, which I have mentored. Having mentor and coach, if possible, the areas you get uh, having those two is very important in your career life. It, it is very helpful. Having someone to go back when you stuck or you are in difficulty in any aspect of your life. Uh, so I do online course. I look to website and uh, GMC website, BMA website, and to look to those area management and leadership and talking to people who been there before me. One of the thing in medicine, although people teach us, but medicine is one of those career which you need, need to take the lead proactively. You drive the learning process for yourself. And that's what most doctors need to pick that skill as early as possible. Have you ever had any moments in your career where you have doubted your ability really and thought about stepping out? 
Yes. You know, I moved to UK in 2002, and my first language is Kurdish, and my second language is Arabic, and my third language is English. So uh, moving to a different country, especially coming from other countries like Middle East to Europe, is completely different. And you get cultural shock, language shock, and uh, these are all been difficulty for me in my life. But uh, those challenges has been part of make, helping me to de develop and making me this rounded person. It was never been easy, but like anything in, in life, nothing in easy, whichever path you choose. But my path was moving a country and, and, and accepting and integrating to a new culture and, and uh, linguistic life, which being challenged. And there was a time which I was really fed up and exhausted because sometimes people doesn't understand your culture, your language, or misinterpret things. But year by year, it became easier in some aspect for me. And that is something which people need to know. Uh, we done a conference seven years ago in London about uh, integration and accommodation. And that was the title, helping international IMG people, nurses, doctors, international medical graduate. And we were talking about those difficulty which we faced during integration to NHS. And what are the things that people who are indigenous from here before us, they can help us to accommodate us. I think it's a partnership, it's a teamwork. We both sides need to be aware of it and work together to come. Uh, it's not just one side, because at the end of the day, we work as one team toward one goal to help this NHS Im develop, improve, and do the best for patients. And unless we get that concept that we have to make effort to integrate or to accommodate, we will not be able to achieve the best for, for our patients. Could you give us an example of integration and what organisations can do to help that and an example of what we need to do to help others accommodate? There are lots of work continuously being done. For example, GMC have got courses for newly doctors who arrived to this country, uh, teach them about uh, how to understand the culture and work. And uh, there are lots of organization helping IMG doctor or nurses. Uh, and I have seen lots of improvement in the last 15 years in NHS, but still we are not perfect. I think there are lots of things which we uh, can be done. For example, leadership. I have noticed, and there is uh, evidence if you go online, that people of IMG background, still we don't have enough of those people in those leadership. And I think us being in leadership can help the system to, to be working smoother to help accommodate those people. And this is a passion in the last two years I developed. Uh, I never thought I can go for leadership, but one of my passion, and I told our medical director, I said, one day I will do your job because I think me or people from my background working in that hierarchy of leadership will really help the NHS to be more productive and more efficient and less wasting of resources. What did your medical director say when you said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have your job? 
I don't know how he felt, but uh, <laughs> he 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 laughed. Uh, yes, he's a nice gentleman. He's my. We had coffee on few occasion, and he been in just hospital for twenty three years, and uh, and I was telling about multicultural, and he didn't realize lots of things which people like me from my background which we feel and uh, face. And he said, I, I, am, I am really, I never had this kind of discriminatory feeling, but I don't have any friend from background like you. I said, this is just something, again, we need to get together and work together and understanding each other. We also spoke about around discrimination and equal opportunities. And you just highlighted that for some people, if you, you know, like you don't know what you don't know is a genuine naivety if you're not from a certain background and you're not exposed to it and you haven't learned about it why would you know certain things have you in that naivety have you do you feel like you have experienced any discrimination i don't call it discrimination yep. but we face this like that person i told you 2 years ago he told me few, three things he said people send me three messages about you I, you said that to one patient and you spoke to that. I said, but this is how we do it in my culture. This is completely warm, kindness and giving. But people from different cultures, they misinterpreted those three interactions of me. And that's what I explained to my friend, medical director, and he appreciated that. He said, I didn't know I have to go back to them, just say for people who brought up in a different environment, this could be normal. And this, it is not discrimination. It is the friction of different way of lifestyle. Some people, that is the issue. With culture, you get used to different way of lifestyle. Like my daughter is brought up here, school here. And uh, sometimes he said, Daddy, you should, this is not how we do it. This is how, not how it should be. And there are things which I see in her. For me, it was different when I was a child. And, and that, the more we are open-minded, that word, open-minded, can help a lot and just be tolerant and trying to understand where is that person come from and why he interacts in that situation or in, in this particular way. That will help. And I have seen example in a hospital where the leadership management seen a situation and they were open-minded and everything was settled nicely. And I have seen with me or other colleagues in a different environment with people narrow-minded and didn't understand the situation and a big blowout happened from a small thing, which is eventually found out that it is just different way of thinking and, and perceiving, and which both ways could be legal and accepted, morally correct, but they are different. From a mindset point of view, how did it feel when you received that feedback and you kind of said, well, it's, I didn't mean it in a bad way. It's just, that's just me. That's just how I communicate. How did, how did it feel? It is hard. Sometimes it, it, it hits you hard deep down. But at the end of the day, you say, I moved to this place. I wanted to join the troop. And it is my duty to adapt and, and make more change and, and, and get used to that way of living and, and uh, trying. And, and 
throughout the history, I think I, I done a lot of change because lots of things which was norm to me was not acceptable or not perceived well in this uh, system. And then uh, throughout, but having said that, 19 years being here, still I find situation which is difficult and challenging. That's why, because that childhood life, which was in different environment, is always with you. Of course. And uh, so it is making a balance. It's not for me to judge. But when you said, I chose to come here, I chose to join the troop, and it's kind of my duty to, you know, to adjust. You know, a little bit of me did think, you know, it, you said it has to be, it's a balance. It's 50-50. Everybody has to adapt and adjust. Not the emphasis shouldn't be on you, should it? I don't think it should just be on you. Yes. Yeah, you know, at personal level, we as a human being, especially doctor, we are critical, we are fe having feeling guilty, and you always try to get better and uh, looking and sabotaging yourself. But you might be right. Sometimes me or people like uh, anyone else can be hard, too harsh to yourself. And, yeah. and that's what I'm trying to do, to be less harsh and more compassionate to myself because I should appreciate what me done for me rather than just pushing myself. And that's why in the last two years, I'm stepping back and investing more in, in, in self-care uh, rather than just pushing because it will never end. It will never be ideal life. So it's just keeping accepting a balance, a, a neutral balance. Okay, moving into that then, what does self-care look like for you? Self-care is very important. And I have, again, this is something nobody taught me in my training, and that, especially doctors. Doctors are very hardworking, very resilient people. And many of us, we are perfectionists, and we always see what we didn't do good or what we didn't do well. And that's why many doctors will get into health trouble. I read somewhere that looking to non-doctors people, Many doctors, they die earlier. They don't get much pension from this government compared to other people because of how we treat ourselves, how we look after ourselves. And that's what I encourage my colleague and I'm doing. And I do healthy lifestyle, well-being, like exercise, eating well, good sleep, and emotional well-being. And there is lots of knowledge and information out there nowadays, which we are lucky, which 20 years ago, we didn't have it. And uh, that's what it is, self-compassion and self-care. And, and if I look after myself, it's not selfish. This means I'm going to be more fit and positive and I can give more to outside world and my patient. Doctors are healer by itself without any medicine and patient come to you, the first medicine you give them is you, your smile, your mm -hmm. eye contact, and your, your positive energy. This being throughout history. And that is something, sadly, in NHS going down because you see many doctors are not happy because too much stress on you, too much demand, and less reward. And, and one of the things this government need to think is, if you look after your staff, doctor, nurses, you get out better from them. And by 
by yeah, one of my colleagues 20 years ago written down an article, Dr. Shaw is from Colchester in BMA, and he got a word, and advising this government to look after the NHS staff, invest in them because they are the best wealth and it, it's worth it. And at 20 years ago, he got a award and they, they like it, but we should do the same. Uh, so we need happy doctors and doctors who have time to look after themselves so that they can deliver the best world class to their patients. So how have you managed that during this pandemic? I, I'm guessing life is has been has been busier for you. Yeah, for, uh, for, for, <laughs> Sorry, everyone, for yeah. everyone, especially NHS uh, yeah. staff. Do, do you know, I never hear this word well-being. This year, every week we get email about it, and now we have a special budget in Ipswich Hospital and in many hospitals for staff well-being, okay? And there's a clinical lead and there's a team because now they realize that we are human, we are not machine, and we can be impacted by what's happening. And this year being hard, and there are lots of data, data and statistic about how nurses and doctors mentally and physically affected, and how high now suicide and substance abuse and sleep problem and divorce, whatever, all that list go on. Therefore, uh, the system, the NHS, the government needs to have to more kind and compassion towards uh, NHS, NHS staff and, and, and doctors. If junior doctors are listening to this, or even before they're junior doctors, they're thinking about becoming a doctor, what advice do you wish somebody would have given you? Yeah, work-life balance. I was worker, workaholic, and many people are, and you've got all your life. And it say doctor is not doctor when you stop learning. So we always study. We always need to learn. So until you die, so give give some time to yourself, to your family, and look after yourself. And that's what I encourage and talk to my junior team. Sometimes I see them tired. I say, you you make sure you sleep well this weekend. Have a break. Mm. Go away. And uh, yeah, work-life balance and do the best. Always have this, put your patient in the core of your business and you'll never go wrong. Have integrity, be kind, be sincere, be honest with your patient and do the best. Even things go wrong, nobody will blame you. Not the hospital, not the GMC, not the patient family. If you have those core value in, in, in your heart. Which I think most of majority, almost doctors, that's how we train and it should be. So you mentioned when things go wrong and things, you know, no one's perfect. Things do go wrong or nothing went wrong, but you sadly lost your patient. How do you deal with those moments? Difficult. I had situation like my clinical lead just spoken to me. How has the world been with you? Did you lose many patients? I came out in tears and I didn't thought that I have those feelings. We are human, no matter you are around the patient, relative, you are related or not. And there is this chemistry go between human and emotion. And that is the most difficult part of our job as staff in NHS. We work with human and we see human sufferings, human dying, and we feel we 
it doesn't affect it, but it subconsciously affects us. And that's why many people get into burnout. Uh, and there's something called compassionate fatigue. There are lots of titles which all come in from being looking after people who are dying, who are in suffering, who got cancer. And many hospitals have good setup about how to support those staff, like in ITU, when it, some ITU, when a patient dies after that, the team could get together, have coffee. If someone very much affected, they let that person to open his or her chest and talk about it. Just by sharing it, talking about it, it can be easier on you. And could you share how you got your job at Ipswich? Yeah, one of the amazing, NHS have lots of amazing things. And I am so privileged and proud to be part of NHS. And I'm so grateful for this country and NHS and always. And uh, five years ago, I, I went to a conference in London and I met a colleague who, was, who worked with me five years prior to that. And he said, what are you doing? What are you up to? I said, my wife just got GP training. She's starting in three months time in, in Ipswich. He said, actually, I'm working in Ipswich, really. I said, and after two weeks, he called me with his clinical lead and he said, uh, I spoke to my clinical lead. He liked to talk to you. And they invited me and I came here uh, and they gave me a job and I was very lucky. So my wife got GP training here and we started. So I was almost finishing my training in London. Yeah. And um, that friend still in touch. And that's what we have in NHS. Although people feel that those colleagues and nurses and sister, uh, team around you, sometimes you don't feel how, what they mean to you, but they mean a lot. And we care about each other and they support. And that colleague supported me and changed my life by helping me be able to get a job at that time. And I just want to say, um, and I don't know if it comes across in this interview, but if this your CEO listens to this interview, I don't think I have met somebody that speaks so highly of the organisation they work with than you have. Like when we first met, I did say like I kind of sat back and was like, he loves where he works. He loves his life. Um, he, You've got lots of support. And it sounds like a fantastic organisation to work with. Nothing's perfect, but you seem very, very happy there. So I think if I, if I was the CEO, I would want to know that. Yeah, thank you very much. I do really mean, uh, they, they, in every hospital, they, they, there is support. And here in Ipswich, I felt very supported. Yeah, I think that in yes, in every hospital there is support, but not everybody feels that there is support. There, there is a difference. Not everybody in the NHS is walking around massive. You know, like not everybody is happy, and that is that's a fact. And I think when you see, when you just watch the news, we know that it's a, can be very difficult environment to work in so I wouldn't not everybody feels the way that you feel and I think that should be acknowledged and that it's you're not lucky you're just it's just great that you do feel that one thing I learned more about it this year in after corona which changed everyone's life is gratitude and being grateful and appreciating what I have nowadays when I go for a walk, I appreciate it. When I play with my everything and everything in life we have is gift. And until it disappears, we don't appreciate it. And learning gratitude and appreciation will change your our life massively. And, and it helped me. 
Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to connect with you, um, where can they find you? Uh, I am on LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah, uh, and uh, so, yeah, you can uh, just download. My name is Amanj Ahmed on LinkedIn, okay? Uh, and uh, my Twitter, I don't know how, how you say that. Amanj H. Ahmed. So that's what, uh, at one two amans that's we'll my twitter fly. can i just give a message i really appreciate you you what you're doing is great and you interview people you help in nhs leader and my last message is for all my co-worker in nhs it is hard it is always getting more difficult but we need to appreciate and have gratitude of all the positive things we have and i am very optimistic about our nhs uh, future Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye. so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram at thc primary care and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do it's really really funny you get to hear more in insights, more confessions, some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.